0: Paul, you Cafe Bitcoiners, how are we doing today?
1: Awesome. (laughs) Doing well. Did I miss
2: anything? Another quiet day.
0: I don't know what happened.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was busy (laughs) beaming on shit corners.
0: No, it's, it's going great this morning. I'm having fun. I had an interesting text from one of my clients just a few minutes ago. And this guy's, he's an OG Bitcoiner doing very, very well nowadays. And he's like, it's almost like an advertisement from the SEC to buy Bitcoin only. And most people are just too, his words, too stupid to get it.
3: Well, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, all these, these crypto folks have always said they have DeFi decentralized finance and now these centralized platforms are being identified for what they are which are basically gambling consumers on projects that should have a way to stand on their own merits in the open e- economy and i don't know
0: all right i want to welcome uh alpha zeta Good morning! Thanks for joining us. Alpha, Alpha Zeta is the CIO at Swan. Very, very smart guy. I'm sure, he has some thoughts on what's going on. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Morning, Alex. Yeah, a lot of thoughts, man. Uh, we can go go over soon. Morning.
0: We also have Tomer Strolight up here, Dom Bay, Brad Mills. Good morning, all you guys, and to the regular crew, of course. Good morning to all of you. All of you, Cafe Bitcoiners, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. The mission for this show is to provide a signal. In the sea of noise, and teach the other seven billion people on this planet while there's hope, because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today, we're going to discuss the SEC is suing multiple crypto exchanges. We've been talking about this for I don't know almost as long as we've been doing this show. Other Bitcoiners have been talking about it longer than that, but uh, we said for a long time the day is going to come where the SEC is going to sue these exchanges. They're going to say that basically you're you're dealing in unregistered securities, then the next step is they're going to tell them to delist all the unregistered securities. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the unregistered securities are the altcoins, everything that's not Bitcoin, basically. Uh, and here we are today. It's happening. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, in the second hour of the show, we've got Phil McPherson from Riot coming on. Uh, Riot's an industrial scale mining company. It's one of the industry leaders, in my opinion. Uh, they're going to give us a little update about that. So lots of things happening besides all of this. Uh, apparently American and Chinese warships are playing chicken in the Taiwan Strait. (laughs) I don't know if you guys saw anything about that. Wild days, wild days.
4: Alex. Yes. You You talk about a sea of noise at the beginning of the show, man. I was just over in that other space. Fourteen thousand people just listening to a stage of noise and nonsense. I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to come over. I had to come over here. Well,
0: what's base? What are they talking
4: about over there? Uh, it's you know, they're talking about the Coinbase news. The SEC sued Coinbase, and of course you got fiat people that don't like Bitcoin or crypto, and they're up there saying things like this is political and blah 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 and, and then you got the crypto people who are just like going through the ross kubler grief cycle and they're they're in denial right now so they're saying the sec is a doing conspiracy theories against crypto and they're trying to shut down all the innovation it's so bad for innovation and american jobs everyone you have to you have to support ponzi schemes in order to support the american economy and then bruce who's i'm really a really good you know friends with and i'm a big fan of bruce He's Benton. he has to, to take yeah, Bruce Fenton. He has to take the uh the free markets, cypherpunk, uh libertarian perspective on everything so intellectually you can be consistent. And unfortunately that drives people that are like free market libertarian maximalists to defend Ponzi scams and pyramid schemes. And so the whole thing's just like super frustrating and noisy. You have nobody up there saying Bitcoin's actually gonna gain from this. Like this is not anything bad for Bitcoin. All the ethical Bitcoin companies like Swan Bitcoin and Cash App, and all the peer-to-peer Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin itself—they're gonna actually be just fine. And this is actually gonna like remove a dead weight from the foot of Bitcoin that all these affinity scammers have been leeching off of the branding of Bitcoin. <inaudible> Casinos—that's this being cut off right now. And you know, all these people that came into Bitcoin from these shitcoin marketing funnels, or they came into crypto from the shitcoin marketing funnels. They're now going to be able to just understand, okay, everything else is probably a security or an overvalued piece of junk, and I should just buy
1: Bitcoin. So how is this bad for Bitcoin? I don't get it. Yeah, Bitcoin's only down half a percent, even though the SEC is pursuing, according to uh, someone I trust, Alex got the same DM. The SEC is pursuing a permanent injunction, permanent injunction against the SEC. Meaning they think there's irreparable harm, if their allegations are correct, the judge needs to rule that there's irreparable harm. Hold on, let me finish and land the plane. Um, There's irreparable harm to US investors, I believe, unless the injunctive relief is granted. So they're seeking injunctive relief, disgorgement of ill-gotten gains plus interest penalties and other equitable relief. Equitable relief means what? Non-cash. So. That includes bans from the industry and things like that, potentially. We'll see.
5: Sorry, Terrence, it's just you misspoke. You said the SEC is seeking an injunction against the SEC.
1: Anything no, against are- Coinbase, also known as Coinbase. The SEC is seeking, I'm reading the press release, which I'll post in the nest a bit in a bit. The SEC okay. Terrence, in the Terrence, you... Southern district. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say that you went through those three points very quickly, and I did not catch them oh, all. Yeah, I mean, no I heard problem. them, but I, I, I think it would be that
5: worth repeating.
0: In
5: yeah, sure, would you repeat sure. all yeah. of those so again, Joe please?
1: Comes over from the other room. Injunctive relief means permanent restraining order. So, I think a lot I, of I you're
5: really familiar with thing temper-
1: thing about,
5: and, and, oh, sorry, Tara, I don't to keep speaking over here. An injunction is something that happens very quickly. It's not. Oh, you file a lawsuit, and then six months later, there's a hearing, and then there's uh, discovery, and then you know a court date is settled. Injunctions are emergency things that happen within yeah. very short notice. So that's very yeah. different than some of what people might have been concerned Bingo. about or, or thinking the day before yesterday, or even just yesterday. Um, having been involved in my old career in a number of situations where injunctive relief was sought, that usually gets a lot of action quickly. Sometimes. You actually do go to court, but usually it gets the party sitting at the table to avoid having to have the injunctive, the hearing for the injunction right away. So, okay. So question
0: for Terrence on this then. Yeah, sure. If, if they're seeking injunctive relief and it's granted by a judge, that means probably that, that what Coinbase has to cease operations.
1: Correct. Immediately. And it sounds like according to our friend, Alex. It's a permanent one, so that's a very high bar. Whereas with Binance, it's temporary, right? Binance, the incentive well, relief. Sure, I'm, pretty sure, I'm
4: pretty sure it just means they have to cease offering illegal securities for trading. So they'll still be able to trade Bitcoin.
0: Right, but
1: see, here's the thing. And this is, uh, maybe. I'm maybe, sure but here's... That. I here's, think here's... stop everything.
0: Okay, here's the other part about that, though. Either way, Coinbase is kind of screwed. We've talked about this before. Something like 80% of Coinbase's revenue is derived from shitcoins, listing shitcoins, and churning shitcoins, right? So if they become a Bitcoin-only company, basically, uh, that changes the entire business model. I was just talking to a guy, highly placed in the industry yesterday, who said... He he can't. He started an account with Swan. He said, hey, I want to work with you guys. And I'm like, why? And, you know, just tell me the story, like what's going on? And he said, well, I'm a Coinbase customer, but I don't think their business plan, I'm paraphrasing, I don't think their business plan is sustainable because of what I just said and everything that's going down. Hafa, Alpha, Alpha, Alpha Zeta, do you have a thought here?
2: Yeah, so just just to recap, right, what we have on the document that came out today, uh, I think we're not talking about the biggest piece. So first one, they mentioned that Coinbase has operated an unregistered uh, security broker, right? I mean, that that one was expected by everybody. Then they said that uh, they deprive investors of disclosures. That's something that, you know, we've been talking for a long time and actually if you go through their, the, the the document and you see what they highlight in terms of the marketing materials from Coinbase, it's just things that we've been talking for a long time, like they're saying, you know, you put your, your coins here and you're going to stake and you're going to get all this yield with us, right, and thoughts that it's guaranteed, like all this criminal marketing that we've been talking for a long time, it's there, it's highlighted, and they went, they listened to, playbacks of interviews that you know brian did and uh, it's it's very interesting to read through then the third one then they mentioned the same assets that we heard yesterday right as being and i don't know if they are more or less but there are a lot of all of these coins are listed there as securities and then finally the last one which i think it's the most interesting one is that they come to the conclusion that staking is a security right that uh, the the action of staking is a security and that has massive implications. I mean, think what, what are they gonna do? They're gonna shut this down and then what happens, right? How they unstake all the Ethereum that they have staked there, how this is all gonna happen. I have no idea how this is all gonna play out. But again, it's risks of, uh, uh, of proof of stake that we've been talking for a long time. I think proof of stake is dead. I thought it was that from the get-go, but I think now it's, it's really that, right? Like There's nowhere to go from here, right? Uh, and I think that's the most interesting piece of, of all of this that we saw today.
0: Okay, question, uh, and then we'll go to Tomer. If staking is a security, that means Ethereum is issuing securities as well, right? So not only is Ethereum a security, but they're the mother asshole from which uh, all the shit coins spring, and they're also issuing securities because they're they're staking too. Am I am I correct in that?
2: I, I will leave that for an attorney. I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of no, think I, so.
1: Yeah, because Coinbase never. It's. In the in the press release, it says Coinbase never registered its staking as a service program as required by the securities laws, depriving investors of critical disclosure and other protections. So yeah, if Ethereum works on proof of stake and staking as a service program, that Coinbase was offering, they're issuing required, securities. Yeah.
0: Coinbase, I, I mean, so, it's so is is issuing securities.
1: Um, no, Coinbase was uh, offering securities. They don't issue it, right? So, technically, they're distributing, they're marketing, and selling. They don't really issue security like coin. The Coinbase, the securities that Coinbase issued are there is Coinbase stock, Ethereum. Yeah, we'll we'll see the details. Ethereum, or, arguably, just, look at what is I just for
4: the top. Yeah. Aaron Wise commented on this. Joe, Carlos, comments commented. A bunch of people are commenting on this. There's sure. specific. It's like a hundred and something pages, and they've yeah. listed Solana, Cardano, Matic, Filecoin, Sand, Axie Infinity, Chili's, Flow, which is the uh, you know the blockchain that runs the the NBA Top Shots, Internet Computer Protocol ICP, Near, Dash, Nexo. Okay, and Coinbase's staking programs for Ethereum, Tezos, USDC, Cardano, Solana, Atom. So they're not quite going after saying that, like, they're not trying to make the case here that Ethereum is a security. It's just, look at all this shit. Yeah, find that right. Bitrex. what they did with Bittrex recently, where they listed another whole bunch, where they've kind of made the case that these things could be securities. And Binance, they listed a whole bunch. And with the Grayscale last year they tried to do a file coin trust and the sec told them no this looks like a security you can't do that because then the the trust would be a security it it just further proves that like most of the stuff in crypto is a security and they're probably not trying to bite off the big chunk of ethereum right now so i, I wouldn't focus too much on Ethereum.
0: okay so so th- this yeah. is something that i was curious but. about right because hang on terrence i want it and then this is yeah, directed sure. to you terrence this is that because they Brad is correct. They're not focusing trying to prove that, that Ethereum is a security. I I agree with that. However, they are naming Ethereum as one of the listed securities. So my question to Terrence There's is
4: staking program, not Ethereum, but the the staking program for Ethereum.
0: Yep. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Okay. Got it. Tomer?
4: This is just this is just like yeah. how last year BlockFi got sued and so did Kraken by the SEC for having a staking or a yield. I think I,
1: yeah, I think I got it. So um, you can offer something that's not a security in a way where your offer is a security. So what's an example? If you take the Mona Lisa, right, which is a piece of art, that's not a security. But if you fractionalize it and offer pieces of the Mona Lisa, you can buy one one millionth of the Mona Lisa for $1 or 10 cents or whatever it is. Ass- assume the Mona Lisa's sure. worth. That's a good no. deal. Then that is the security because you're offering a fraction of something. Right. So, okay. Uh, here's a better example. Homes in the 2008 mortgage crisis, housing crisis, what happened? People bought homes, took out a mortgage. That mortgage was sold by the bank to commercial bank, your local regional bank, whatever to wall street. Right. Or to, to Well, initially, the countrywide, these kind of intermediaries, they then sold it to Wall Street, like Merrill Lynch. Um, We have the number one CDO program in the the world. And we did what? We dumped those mortgages, which are not securities, put them into a vehicle and pumped out mortgage-backed securities. Those mortgage-backed securities were then pumped into a collateralized debt obligation vehicle, issuing securities again. So that would be an example of going from a home that's not a security or a mortgage that's not a security to something that is a security, specifically starting with a mortgage-backed security. Does that sort of make sense? You take 100 mortgages from across the country, similar worth, credit rating, dump them into an SP, uh, special purpose vehicle trust, pump out a bunch of mortgage-backed securities. Some are rated AAA, some are double A, single A, whatever. Does that sort of make sense to people? That would be an example of taking something that's not a security and offering it as a security. Yeah. So, so Ethereum Let's... might not be a security. I think it is. We think it is. But the SEC politically, are they really going to go after Ethereum with their massive lobbying and shut down the entire altcoin industry? Like, if Ethereum's a security, the entire altcoin industry is basically dead. Maybe you have Litecoin that survives. Maybe well, either it's dead maybe. or they
0: force them into regular regulatory compliance. Those point. are two different yeah. things, yeah. right? So yeah. let's go with Hoffa. I'd like also to hear from John Harp. Good morning, John, who we haven't heard from yet.
6: Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say quickly, enjoying it so far. Um, I think Terrence was spot on there that things can be securitized. Um, an offering of something can, can be turned into a securities offering. That doesn't mean the underlying... Thing involved is necessarily a security. I do think that's what's happening here. I don't think the SEC has come out and said Ethereum is a security. I think that's still potentially on the table, but I tend to agree with parents that the Ethereum interests are well entrenched enough that that's not happening yet. We'll see what happens in the coming months and years, um, but I think they're focused on the staking as a service being a security rather than Ethereum itself being a security, at least for now. Um, and then the other thing I'm, I'm looking into right now as I'm listening to you guys is I think just the interesting question is what would be left of Coinbase's business if some of their uh, revenue generating items are deemed to be illegal or unregistered? So I'm just taking a look at Coinbase's 10Q, uh, seeing their revenue breakdown by business line. I know Sam Callahan has tweeted about this and Written about this in the past, so I'm kind of looking at it and saying, "Okay, will that exist in a few years? Will this exist in a few years?" Uh, so it's pretty interesting to see what Coinbase might be left with um, if if several of their business lines are not allowed to operate going forward.
2: John, they they mentioned that they have the, they were making commissions of 25 to 35 percent on staking, right? So the point is staking is considered as a security, regardless of what you're staking, right? It could be Ethereum, it could be whatever it is. So that's what they're saying. Yeah, it's exactly in their document. They're saying that the the act of staking is is a security. Um, And and if that's the case, there's no exchange in the US that should be doing staking right now. So what happens to all these coins that are staked?
4: Can I just correct that? I think that's not the right Thing that they're saying, I think they're saying the act of offering a staking service for customers is the security, not staking itself.
1: Correct. But I mean, how much of those assets are theirs? Offer it, yeah, to U.S. customers. I think that's what Hoffa meant.
4: Yeah, I just think that if you're running your own, you know, yield staking shitcoin chain or whatever. Um, yeah, you're, you're and you didn't pre mine it if you First didn't pre mine the yeah. coin and it, maybe it, you know it's completely decentralized and it gives you and you can stake it and earn a yield of of the native coin like that probably doesn't meet the needs of security so like most of them are actually pre mined and centrally run and not decentralized how does the ripple decision play into
7: this cuz we haven't seen that yet sorry tomer
1: why would it sorry what do you mean like uh, well, they're not really related, right? Yeah.
5: I Terrence, mean, can I ask you a question, a question? Yeah, sure. Before, I don't know if you know the answer to this. And, th- and then I have another comment that I wanted to make to Brad. But um, when you said that the SEC was seeking permanent injunctive relief against Coinbase, are there specifics as to what they're seeking injunctive relief against? Is it like Coinbase's there, entire...
1: There are. I need to get through the documents. So I'm okay. on the West Coast. So late start. But... um. It wouldn't necessarily
5: mean everything
1: that they're doing. It's not everything. It's not. I I misspoke earlier. So I posted, I tweeted an example, and I'll try to post it in the Nest later, of Kraken agreeing to injunctive relief, um, consenting to injunctive relief, and seizing marketing. And with it, staking as a service program only, and Kraken's still in business. They just stopped marketing, staking as a service. So so what? What
0: happens to Ethereum if they halt staking as a service?
1: It should go down in value. It doesn't mean that Ethereum itself is illegal or unregistered security, but it should go down in value because it's being used less, right? One of well the okay, does Ethereum,
0: that does that kill capital market access to Ethereum or not?
1: I think it hurts it. It hurts it quite a bit. It's a kneecap. It hurts it significantly. Not a- yeah. no shock.
5: Don't, don't forget, the reason people stake Ethereum is because it generates yield. So if you can't stake Ethereum and get yeah. yield, then you would value it by less. You would value that stake portion Well, you can still
4: you can still stake Ethereum and get your yield, but you can't do it on a U.S. cryptocurrency exchange. You can still do it. You just can't but do th- it. But this, this is the problem. Yeah, it's,
5: one, it's, one, it's expensive and hard to do on your own. And two... It requires a minimum commitment to do it on your own of 32 ETH, which is you know sixty thousand dollars
4: for some. But there's, some a and, bunch, there's a bunch of Ethereum staking, you know, liquid staking services like Lido and Rocket Pool and all
1: this stuff that lets you do that. But Brad, a, Brad, if, if they the do that, problem. hold on. If they do that to U.S. investors, which is what the SEC focuses on. That is a security violation. Yeah, but these guys right? are overseas, so. Yeah, and they're going to get, though. they're going to get. It doesn't matter, finances this is, is overseas. there's a lot matter. of, so
0: So here's the thing, this is an important point for people to realize, a lot of people assume that just because a company's in a different jurisdiction, that the United States has no leverage over those companies, I disagree with that completely, and that's the whole yeah. thing, that's, that's what FATCA was all about, that's what all of these.
4: These aren't exchanges. These
1: are just companies. So it's like, it doesn't I, matter. It doesn't matter Brad. Oh my God, Brad. Yeah, so guys, let's, okay, let's, let's, let's let me finish, finish my point. Can after let, them. They can still go after them. It's still. Let
0: me explain to you legal. why. Let me explain to you why they have leverage. And this all started with the whole Fatka thing. Back then, when they were weaponizing the United States, there's a great book about this, by the way. If you haven't read it, Treasury's War by Juan Zarate. Treasury's War, Juan Zarate. Basically, uh, all US dollar transfers that go through swift route through the United States of America they go through bank, they go through what's called intermediary banks in New York this is what they use to put the put their foot on the throat of every financial institution on the planet it doesn't matter what jurisdiction you're in they basically said you will either play ball with our regulations and you will comply or we will cut off your ability to send dollars around the world and uh you know all of them did comply. Now, if if an entity finds a way to do business and stay in business without the use of United States dollars, well, then they're fine. But if they can't do that, if they need U.S. dollars, well, guess what? Then the U.S. has control over these entities, regardless of the jurisdiction they're in. Papa you've done business internationally. Can you add anything to that?
2: Is that incorrect? What do you think? Yeah, and, but just to go back first, right? If you look at the, at, I think Brad is correct that, uh, you know, you could still stake Lido and all these other stakers that are out there. But Coinbase, if I'm not mistaken, they're the second biggest uh, pooling uh, of, of staking out there. It's, it's huge, right? And this is going to have to be unwound. And if it's unwound, there's no question this is a massive hit on price. And, and this is the piece that I still don't understand. If you look at the uh, price action of Ethereum, it's not going anywhere. So, it, it, but that's something I haven't understood for a long time. Uh, short term, I mean, things can can do everything. But uh, at the end of the day, this can't be good for uh, for for any protocol. There is relying on, on on proof of stake, right? I mean, huge piece of uh, of your pillar of the foundation of what you do. It's gone, right? You can't you can you can't stake in in any of the U.S. exchanges. So. You know, I, I would be very worried if I held any Ethereum uh, just because of that. Right. And it, it does have an impact on price. There's absolutely no question on that. And, and in terms of international, um, you know, uh, I think that uh, it, we see everything, right? So uh, you, you see in Brazil, for example, that the, the, unfortunately you still see a lot of action in, in, uh, in a lot of coins, in altcoins and shitcoins and all of that uh but that's changing i think you know internationally people are like maybe five years behind where the US, one cycle behind of where the us was uh but that's definitely changing i can see that changing recently where you know i see more and more people going bitcoin only yes
0: all right so many hands here um i don't know the order but let's say good morning to greg foss morning greg how you doing you have some thoughts here
8: yeah hi guys um Alex, good morning. Um, I just I I tuned in a little late, and I just want to make sure that the word Howie test has been brought up on this conversation. Am I late? Did it has it, it been brought it, up? It has Thank it, you. For it that hasn't. Reminder. Okay. So mm-hmm. this is amazing because Terrence sort of described something with the Mona Lisa, which was somewhat interesting. I just encourage everybody to go back and check out what the Howie test is. So H O W E Y. The Howey test is a legal test used in the United States to determine whether a transaction qualifies as an investment contract and thus is considered a security under federal law. Now, you can go back to the history of Howey. It had something to do with an orange grove or a grapefruit grove in uh, Florida way back in the olden days. But there are four purposes, four elements to the Howey test. Number one, an investment of money. Number two, a common enterprise. Think of centralization. Number three, expectation of profit. And number four, to be derived from the efforts of others. So very simply, guys, that's how all decisions are made in the USA based on defining a security. Precedent called the Howey test. I wanted to throw it out there try and securitize the Mona Lisa and tell me that is not a securitized security product. I dare you. You cannot do it. I don't care what country you're in. You may not come under U S law, but under the laws of the United States, that will be deemed a security. Very simple. Thanks. Okay. That's so that's thank you. Bringing
0: it, bringing it back to the, uh, the actual lawsuit, The The press release here, it says the securities and exchange commission today charged Coinbase with operating its crypto asset trading platform as an unregistered national securities exchange broker and clearing agency. So that's specifically what they're charging under. Yeah. They're also charging them. Similar
1: to Binance charges.
0: Yeah. They're also charging them for failing to register the offer and sale of its crypto asset staking as a service program. So those are the two main areas. Uh, yeah. And it's going to be interesting what the results are in terms of, do they have to delist a bunch of these altcoins because they're basically unregistered securities? What exactly happens with this injunctive relief? That's the next question. Uh, and what does it affect? And and what are the second and third order effects on the prices for example, in the in the adoption of these various different alts, Dombey.
9: Yeah, Alex. You know, it's it's going to be an interesting. Uh, seems like a, a long road. Uh, reading through just with a non legal background through this brief, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, legal tug tug of war here. Um, I thought it was interesting, Uh, there's a part in the brief where they refer to a Coinbase filing where Coinbase itself in 2021 said, due to the uh, ambiguity of classifications of crypto uh, tokens and assets, um, you know, Coinbase openly said, we may, we can't guarantee that we're not going to violate your uh, rules, we're not going to break the law. Um, and so, right, they they acknowledge that, and uh, the the brief refers a lot. If reading through, I noticed it refers heavily to the way that Coinbase promoted the staking program and relies a lot on that, which kind of leaves open this kind of, you know, a lot of a lot of questioning and interpretation. To is it, you know, is it on its surface?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that actually has any effect on the outcome. I mean that's like posturing me. It's like political word games. Like when you're like, "Oh, it's not clear what this is, and it's very, it's a very ambiguous." and Can, like I, can they, I just that's- add,
8: Alex, with the expectation of profit, very simply, with the expectation of profit, that's what yield is. Therefore, do but the all back- of those.
0: All of those kind of word games about it's ambiguous. I mean, that's what the whole crypto industry uses as kind of like the look over here while I'm doing uh, this yeah, over here. Yeah, I was just going back to the
8: Howie test. It's a magic Again, trick. Going back to the Howie test. Go back to the Howie test. That's where it starts.
9: Yeah, and, and no, you know, not not saying whether anything is correct or incorrect. I'm just referring to what the brief refers to. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. It seems like it's going to be a long road. I will say one thing that I thought was interesting is you know we 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 hammer on uh, Gensler a lot but the fact that this comes on the tail end of written letters basically demanding the SEC to take action from elected officials um not the worst place to be in when there's fallout from this from different people in the crypto community or business community on the crypto side because you know the SEC now sits to just say look we we were we, we got letters from elected officials demanding we take action, like go talk to them. So that's another interesting part on the timing of everything.
0: A quick question for Terrence, and then we'll, we'll go with Tomer. Terrence, if they're, yes. if they're seeking a permanent and immediate injunctive relief, does this mean that they feel they have a really solid case or does this mean that this, uh-huh. this is, is this just like a hand wavy thing for them?
1: No, not hand. The SEC doesn't do stuff hand wavy. They, any U.S. regulator, or federal regulator or federal prosecutor, they tend to win, or get a settlement on, probably over ninety percent of their cases. I don't know about like outside of finance, but if we're talking about SEC, CFTC, uh, bank bank regulators, federal prosecutors, they tend to win ninety percent of the time, whether it's a settlement or just win in court. So if they go to trial, it's pretty serious. This is pretty serious. So but what they're saying is, is they it, think there's irreparable harm, right, to US investors if the staking stuff I it's probably about staking, if the staking stuff doesn't stop. I'm not sure if it covers it may cover the um the uh the securities as well, the, the off off offering and sale of uh unregistered securities and operating as a um you know unregistered well that seems like a second blah, blah, like blah. that's
0: like a second action right that would happen next like if they do establish and they win this case and they they're alleging that coinbase is operating yeah. uh, a trading platform need, yeah. with unregistered in, in, national securities exchange broker and clearing yada yada but i guess my point with that was that they would not ask for it if they didn't think they were going to get it is is what i'm saying
1: correct they think they have a very strong case because they don't want to be embarrassed they've already been embarrassed right by um potentially losing the ripple case if you believe all the um pr that's been coming out and all these companies they have really really they they can afford because i mean they can afford to hire the best lawyers in america which are basically the best lawyers in the world to be honest on securities law and um so it's really tough for them to it's like the OJ uh, team right OJ was found not guilty because he had the best lawyers and the DA fucked up same thing here if the SEC fucks up they will get crushed by the, def- the defense lawyers or the lawyers for coinbase so they have to have realistically I mean it's pop there's a non-zero chance they fucked up but realistically there's a lot of meat there and they have enough facts and they have a law and the law on their side. And they think they have a narrative that's compelling enough to a judge that they're, uh, they should, if not, um, almost certainly grant this permanent injunction, which we still need to figure out the scope of. And can we? And they're going to have to.
0: They're going to have to substantiate that these claims that there's been harm, right? So they're going to have. There's going to be numbers.
1: No no, 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 no. Okay, okay. So, so this is a difference. So, yeah, that's a great question. Injunctive relief just means if the facts you alleged in your complaint are true, if the S- what the SEC is saying about Coinbase doing illegal staking and unlawful um, you know, uh, uh, securities offerings, if that's true, if you assume Coinbase, uh, sorry, the SEC's alleged facts are true, then is there irreparable harm? Does that make sense? So the judge is literally assuming, by law, this is just how it works. If you assume that what the SEC says is true, then is it strong enough that you should grant this extraordinary somewhat extraordinary uh ban on activity until you go to trial and then both sides fight it out and you know the court decides who's right what the facts are but this is assuming the facts alleged are true that's how injunctive works and it has to be so extreme that if the facts are true then it's like yeah of course we gotta we got, or I should, as the judge, grant a permanent injunction until we, and then sort it out in trial or reach a settlement. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah.
0: yeah okay. Stop. Let's, let's. Yeah. Let's go, go with Tomer and then Foss, and then I want to go with Brad Mills again, uh, because Brad, you you put a link in the nest about juicing validator numbers to make it look more decentralized than it is. Ethereum pre miners are doing this. I want to hear more about that. So Tomer, go ahead.
5: Yeah. so I, I think the the thing I most want to stress is it's there's a lot of noise out there right now especially as Brad was saying when he joined this room that there was another room with over 10,000 people in it and it was filled with noise so trying to get the signal through the through the noise is is really tough when when news breaks uh, there are some things that we know with a high level of certainty and other things that we're trying to to figure out um, and and it's tough because everyone's bringing their expertise together, but not everybody. But but all the news is really fresh, so I, I just kind of want to make sure that people don't leap to conclusions on things that aren't um, that aren't necessarily known to to be the case, um, and that we dig into what feels to be the most important issues. I want to add, it's really complicated right now. What's going on? Like just the whole discussion that I heard us having about well, is staking itself turning the token that's being staked into a security or is running a staking service it or is running a staking pool uh the security the security thing so and, and none of us are hundred percent clear on what the allegations are well what we, we are clear reason-
0: yeah that actually we do have the we have that right here in front of me. I have the SEC press release. It it literally says verbatim the SEC is charging Coinbase for failing to register the offer and sale of its crypto asset staking as a service program. That's right. in the so first that- paragraph.
5: So it says that staking, running the staking as a service program is Correct. making a securities offering, is making a securities offering. Yes. Right? Nar- narrow, yeah. that's, that's a little bit narrower than saying it turns, it, we've concluded that all these tokens are securities or, or other things. So Correct. I just I just want to be a little bit narrow about these things. What One other thing I wanted to say is uh, Terrence has used the expression irreparable harm a couple of times, and people may not know what that means like why would a judge why would why would the legal system offer uh emergency trials on things and and the justification for it is well if if the harm that's done by not dealing with it immediately cannot be reversed in the long term of the court like normally you take someone to court and if they did if they wronged you they have to pay you some disgorgement irreparable harm means no amount of money can can correct this thing right nothing that the court can can decide a year and a half from now can correct the harm that's being done immediately so i think it's really interesting when someone makes that strong a claim that says irreparable harm will be caused what is the irreparable harm and who is it going to be caused to so i'm really curious to find out more about yeah. the injunction because it, it's a t- it's a very tall order um and uh and 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 I just feel like it's something that we don't know exactly what the details are yet. And yeah. maybe one and of the most
8: important and urgent. This things. is
0: part of the discovery process. We're figuring it out as we go here. Foss, the other. So, a yeah, platform? just,
8: yeah, very quickly to prove that you can teach a fat, old, 60 year old white guy how to post something in the nest, but then it got taken down. I did post the Howie test in the Twitter nest on this space's June 6th, 2023, when I'm 60 years old. Buy Bitcoin. Even fat old white guys will be able to figure it out over time. Love you guys from Canada. XOX.
0: The uh, it's uh, it's up there. By the way, the uh, boss's link is in the nest. Brad, do you want to talk a little bit about what you're what you're uh, saying in this tweet? Ethereum pre miners are juicing validator numbers to make it look more decentralized than it is. What does that mean?
4: I mean, yeah, they're, they're going through a lot of decentralization theater, continually trying to make it look like the Ethereum uh, network is decentralized and governed by its users. It goes all the way back to the DAO hack when Vitalik and the Ethereum Foundation tried to uh, get user consensus in order to pause everything and roll it back. And then there was just like abysmal performance in that vote. They were trying to do some sort of vote to get you know, to make it look like it wasn't a centralized decision to reverse the DAO hack and nobody participated. It was like I think it was like 20 percent, if I remember, of, of people voted and uh, suddenly just made the centralized decision to execute centrally the rollback of Ethereum to reverse the DAO hack. So culturally, th- this is top down led by leaders of ethereum it's led by vitalik and the ethereum foundation and yes they try to do this thing over time where they try to appear more and more decentralized and i mean it's consensus and the ethereum foundation joe lube and vitalik and these teams funding it with hundreds of millions and maybe billions of dollars to try to build decentralization theater into ethereum And they push forward for everything like Vitalik came up with the idea of the EIP 1559, which is what they they sacrifice their long term credibility on their monetary policy in order to try to compete with the stock to flow ratio of Bitcoin, which thankfully they did that because for the people that know the stock to flow ratio is just a dumb meme and The fact that they sacrificed their years of not interfering with monetary policy just to compete with Bitcoin, try to make it ultrasound money or whatever, is actually a good thing for people that understand why Bitcoin is valuable. But what they did was to sort of push forward for the proof of stake thing, which they've always wanted to do proof of stake. They had this beacon chain activation thing, I think it was in 2020, and in 2020, there was, there was like a target where they had to reach a certain amount of ETH staked in the beacon chain. And they were doing this big push, all the podcasters and influencers in Ethereum were trying to push everybody to stake their ETH in the beacon chain so that they could officially activate and go this process to, to move to proof of stake. Well, only like, you know, a couple of days before the deadline was coming up, only something like 20% of people had put their ETH into the beacon chain. And it wasn't going to activate. So would you know it? Right at the very end, all these ETH whales came in and like put put this their ETH into this the beacon chain and activated it. So
0: again, so what it's you're what st- you're saying is that there's a long history of the of proof that the Ethereum is basically centralized. They make centralized decisions. Oh, the it's whales,
4: made- the whales, the the pre miners, the people that have held a lot of ETH from the pre mine, they kind of always come to the rescue to make it look decentralized. And they did it again just the other day when the um uh, uh, an ethereum like address that has pre mine eth in it tied to the ethereum foundation s- took a bunch of eth and started splitting it up into 32 eth chunks and adding it into make it look like the validator numbers are like extremely big and i saw a report from galaxy and that's the reason why i looked into this is because galaxy wrote this report And it was like, yeah, Ethereum has 440,000 validators. It's commenting about it and like making it sound like it's decentralized. And I'm like, that's not 440,000 people. That's uh, probably like 10 whales of Ethereum that have created 400,000 validators programmatically and makes it look like there's a ton of people validating on ETH. It's not people. It's like, imagine yeah. if every single ASIC miner was like, they were counting that as a person mining. Well, and,
0: and, the, and a lot of that stuff is in cloud services, right? They're using like Amazon web services and shit like that, where they could just add a billion of them instantly if they want to. Well, and,
4: the, and, and then the main point of this all is that like, they created a system where the rich get richer with no work. They activated that system where the rich get richer with no work. And they're now diluting every other person that is buying Ethereum because they think it's ultrasound money, but they're not technically capable enough to go and stake it, they've created a dividend for themselves and they're diluting every other person holding ETH. So unless you want to actually become this technical person running a node and maybe join the, take the risks of joining like a Lido liquid staking program and potentially get rugged on that or whatever, or have 32 ETH to put into this smart contract validator thing on your, on your, in your house. (laughs) then you're probably going to get diluted. So the fact that they completely changed the way everything works and to benefit themselves, they're still benefiting from the pre-mine and it's diluted. Diluting all
0: the the really crazy part about that is wasn't the pre-mine like they give 70% to insiders already so the, they're already substantially advantaged and now they're like yeah screw all you guys we're
4: taking it all
0: you know it's like
4: crazy. well I just I just I just think that like yes there's a valid point that some of the people that are looking outside at the Bitcoiners that we are kind of like framing this in the wrong way in my opinion I don't think I don't think it should matter whether or not It Validation is a security. I think you should look at the fundamentals of it and say like this is a bad investment and it's unethical and there's a bunch of people that are these refusing to disclose. They created the thing and they're refusing to disclose how much they own and they created a system where they get benefit into perpetuity and dilute everybody else.
0: That's where I think we should focus more on, on
4: the criticisms.
0: That said, I have a question for John Hart and Hoffa. I also want to shout out to Stefan Lavera in the audience. We're going to throw you an invite if you want to come up here. No obligation, but if you want to. And then good morning to Joe Carlosari. Thanks for joining us. Joe, I'd like to go to you here in a couple of minutes um, after this next question to John and Hoffa. And the question is, all that being said, what Brad was talking about and the, that CoinGa- Coinbase is being charged with... Uh, offer and sale of its crypto asset staking as a service program which they're calling a security what do you guys think is going to happen I mean do you have any thoughts on what happens with ethereum over the next six months year or two years
2: I'll go first and I'll let John go so it's very hard to say so let's play this through right what will happen now is that it's clear that all the activity of staking that it's happening Coinbase it's illegal it's it's classified as a security right so that's probably going to be unwound and re- remember what happens there is like more like pooled staking so there are people putting small amounts of ethereum right not the 32 ethereums that you need in order to do staking. just small amounts they put there and then coinbase just stakes the whole thing together uh they're going to have to unwind this it's very clear it's it's on the um we put it on, on the thread there you can see that you know they're they're very clear on seeing that staking the activity of staking uh, and again, what this means for Ethereum? Does it mean that Ethereum? I have no idea, but there is going to be some impact on, on that uh, on that piece. Well, when that's unwound, where does that go, right? And first of all, I don't even know how the the unstaking is right now. I remember that it wasn't something that you could do immediately; that it took some time. But I, I, I'm not qualified to talk about that now. But that's something that you know we should we should look into. Uh, and then when that goes down, that, that definitely is going to have an impact on price because I can guarantee if you go to Coinbase page, just search Coinbase staking of Ethereum. And you see, they're very clear advertising that you can put your Ethereum there. Then you get six, 6% plus in yield for staking with them. Uh, and that, that's again, that's gone. So if I had Ethereum there that I was looking to get this yield and this yield, you know, it's just like you had a bond that had 6% yield, yield right, uh, under codes. And that it's not paying anything right now, you know, the, the price should go down significantly from where it is, at least in, in my mind. So I think this is very bearish for, for Ethereum. I think it's just a first step into a series of worst steps. And, uh, and and it's a proof of stake coin, right, that, that relies a lot on staking. Staking to the core. It's one of the pillars of, uh, uh, of their fundamental value, if you want to call it that way, right? So that's my thought.
6: Yeah, and and I would just say, uh, you know, your question, Alex, I think brings up a lot of other interesting questions, and it, it makes me think back to what happened with Kraken, uh, which I think was just earlier this year, uh, three four months ago. Um, but someone can correct me if if that's wrong. But but uh, the thing I wanted to highlight about that in particular was Kraken. If I'm remembering this correctly, they shut down their staking as a service pretty quickly. In a settlement with the SEC. Now, maybe Joe or some other people on stage here can comment if they think something is different about the Coinbase situation. But to your question, Alex, you know, what will happen with Ethereum going forward? I think that's kind of the first question is, is this going to be a long drawn out lawsuit? Or is Coinbase more likely to take the Kraken route and they say, okay, yes, this this was a security, we'll pay a settlement, we'll pay a fine, in a settlement and will no longer offer it. If that happens, I'm not saying that will happen. I would like to hear others' views on whether that will happen. But if it does, then I think the interesting question is, okay, where? what are the other platforms and jurisdictions where ETH holders can do staking as a service? So that's kind of the uh, question tree that I'm thinking of here, but would love to hear what others or, or Joe has to say about it.
0: All right, let's go with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Uh, As you are well aware, the SEC has now charged Coinbase in addition to Binance. uh, The charges against Coinbase are operating as an unregistered securities exchange, broker, and clearing agency. They're also charging them for failing to register the offer and sale of its crypto asset staking as a service program. Terrence brought up some really interesting points about what they're seeking, something about injunctive relief, permanent injunctive relief. um, And then... I think everyone is curious to hear your thoughts on how something like this will go. Um, what are the chances that the SEC gets what it wants and what are the second and third order effects of all of this moving down the road here, six and months and a year, et cetera.
10: Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Um, so not unexpected, right? We knew this was coming and uh, we see uh, in, in legal terms, in, in in verbatim, the allegations against Binance with respect to their, functioning as an unregistered broker-dealer, unregistered killer house, and unregistered exchange in violations of 16, sections 5 and 17 of the Exchange Act were like copy and pasted from the violent suit. So that's the position, that's the position they were taking. And by the way, every exchange in the United States, including the quote-unquote Bitcoin-only exchanges, are subject to this type of same suit. Right. There's no there's no reason why Robin Hood shouldn't face the exact same suit and allegations that are being made against Coinbase. Um, they're copied, you know, popped and pasted. Uh, as I've said many times in these rooms, like, you know, I think the only reason this wasn't filed last year was because of SBF and others trying to get some sort of pro-crypto uh, legislation passed and the SEC didn't want to get into a long protracted litigation uh, while this was uh, uh, potentially going to be resolved through uh, a legislation. So it wasn't, right? We know the legislation died, and I don't expect it to come anytime soon, certainly not before the next election. So the SEC has filed these actions, and you should expect more. Uh, in fact, uh, I would put a very, very heavy wager that there will be additional suits where they copy and paste these same allegations against other exchanges in the United States offering broker-dealer services, clearing house services, exchange services. It's not just Coinbase. Um, I think the focus on their staking activity is burying burying the lead. Um, Regardless of the staking activity, this is a a claim that goes at the core of their business, which is providing exchange and clearing house-related activities to retail customers, which the SEC says, no, no, you're not going to do that. It runs a follow the law, and we want you to come in. So the question is, you know, uh, we know from public statements with Coinbase that they met 30 plus times with uh, the SEC that they kept saying, well, we want clarity, we want clarity, um, you know, and you're not giving it to us. What was what was going on in those meetings? And what I think we know now is that the SEC wanted Coinbase to suspend all trading activity. They wanted them to suspend any activity for any um, asset on their platform that was not specifically greenlit by the SEC, which would mean that Coinbase would not operate, right? Because very, very, very few, if any, assets have been uh, 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 publicly uh, praised or uh, given a green light. The SC doesn't even really do that for, for certain assets on the platform. Um, so now this is an, an existential threat to Coinbase. It's a claim against Coinbase, basically targeting their core business. It's not just about the staking activity. That yes, they make a lot of money from that, and that's an add-on. Um, but in addition, you know, the order that's here is uh, the, the request for relief. Um, is an injunction it's an order you know that in them from engaging in broker-dealer clearinghouse and exchange related activities uh, so you know if that were to ever get entered okay that means Coinbase couldn't operate um, and it was you know a heavily coordinated move came on the heels of this these cease and desist orders and show cause orders that are being issued by I think it's ten plus states which that'll get heard in the next coming months so you're gonna see probably litigation in many different forums also get filed um, so, again, we're at the beginning of this, not the end. You're going to see litigation uh, ramp up, I think, over the next several months. I, I, I expect at least uh, a dozen more suits to be filed, probably more. Um, now, what what is the sequence? Okay, the, the first and second order of X. The, the, I think that the sequence here is interesting that they did not seek a TRO against Coinbase or a preliminary injunction like they did against Binance. In the Binance suit, in their complaint... They actually uh, are requesting a preliminary injunction slash TRO to be heard by the court at the earliest possible juncture, freezing Binance's assets, requesting a full accounting, Um, really broad relief. Okay, they could have theoretically requested the same in this suit uh, with Coinbase. They did not, meaning that they wanted to play out through a normal orderly process. Perhaps they don't want to spook the market because it's publicly traded. They want there to be discovery and motion practice on it. So the Coinbase suit is going to be very, very slow moving. If the TRO gets filed in the Binance suit, that will take center stage, right? I think that's going to be uh, going to give a lot of jitters to the market. I mean, imagine if you wake up in a few hours here and uh, you see a headline that they're in federal court in front of a judge. Uh, Asking the judge to uh, give an extraordinary relief of a restraining order on Binance's assets, both domestically and potentially even internationally, uh, outside their jurisdiction. Um, So, so I expect that this, you know, this this whole suit against Coinbase, while it's very important for U.S. investors, I think it will play second fiddle to the Binance suit, at least in the short run. That will change eventually because I think Binance uh, uh, will, um, uh, well, I'm. Let me just stop there.
0: Okay, that was fantastic. I hope all of you are taking notes. Uh, some really great information. I know Hoffa has to bounce for a meeting, so I just want to say thanks for joining us today. Uh, do you want to make any closing comments? And then I'd like to go to Sam Callahan, who uh, is head of research with SWAN, and he's probably got some interesting things to say about things that he's looked into regarding this. Hoffa, do you have any closing thoughts?
2: Yeah. Not much. I just, uh, you know, we're going to read more see how these things develop there's a lot in the air um yeah but let's see how these things play out but thanks, thanks everybody and uh have a good day later bye
0: see you half thanks for hanging sam callahan good morning and welcome uh do you have anything you would like to add on the discussion so far anything that you've uh, un- uncovered reading uh the briefs that you've seen so far on the situation <laughs> um
11: nothing uh, that i can add in terms of what joe was saying um i thought it was interesting in the complaint how they just laid out really specifically why each of those cryptocurrencies were considered securities um so they did their research into say solana um or cardano you know they really laid out like why it was a security uh, the different ways they raised money the foundation how they marketed Um, how they got pushed it to get listed on exchanges, how they had certain mechanisms in place to pump the price um, from the centralized founding team ability to control things. Um, And so I thought that was really interesting. Um, When it comes to like staking and whether or not they'll have to shut it down, you know, I was just looking at um, their recent uh, quarterly filing and trying to gauge how it would have impact their revenues. And because I knew that um, staking has been like, something that's buoyed their revenues as their trading revenues have been down like 63% year over year. Um, And so losing the staking programs would be a hit, but ironically um, Coinbase has really benefited from the fed jacking interest rates. So their, their corporate interest income as well as their interest income earned from USDC um, is what kind of has helped them get through uh, the last year or so during this bear market, but also these staking rewards, Um, So it definitely would impact their revenues. Um, And then other crypto assets. So you have Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other crypto assets when you're breaking down trading volume and transaction revenues. For Coinbase, other crypto assets made up about 45% of its trading volumes and 46% of its transaction revenues in Q1 2023. And it remains to be seen what percentage of those other crypto assets will be deemed unregistered securities by the SEC and how Coinbase's revenues will ultimately be impacted But you got to think, you know, if the SEC keeps coming down on these certain cryptocurrencies and starts labeling them unregistered securities. And honestly, the shit that Coinbase listed, I mean, if Solana and Cardano are being securities, I'm sure some of these other like ridiculous coins on Coinbase are also going to be considered unregistered securities too. Um, So you got to think it's going to impact uh, their trading revenues. Given that it made up 46% of their transaction revenues, if they had to like, uh, delist um these these shit coins, uh from their casino, so um, that's kind of what I was looking into.
10: Just to make, be clear on this, that that the, the the requested relief, okay, if they get one of if they find that they were engaged in the activity of selling an investment contract, okay, the requested relief is that they are permanently enjoined from any exchange-related activity, including selling Bitcoin. That, that's what they can get. They can get an order of the court saying you are not allowed to engage in any activity that would qualify as an exchange under Section 5 and Section 17 of the Exchange Act. So they don't need to prove all these things are securities. They need to just prove you are operating an exchange. You're selling investment contracts. Therefore, as a regulator, we can use the, the, our enforcement powers under Section 5 and 17 to bar you from operating in the United States.
0: Thanks, Joe. Okay, who's next, Brad or Nate? By the way, John Har. John's got a bounce for a meeting. Do you have any uh, real quick uh, final thoughts before you got to go?
6: Yeah, thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. I uh, wish I didn't have another call now. This has been fascinating. Um, the thing I want to just throw out there, which you know Joe was starting to hit on, and I think Terrence was hitting on it earlier, the thing that's not clear to me is just how exactly uh, Coinbase could potentially reconcile with what the SEC is claiming like, what it's not clear to me what the path forward is exactly. You know, is there a way for them to register and still, you know, have some of their business lines be intact? Or is that not clear? And the SEC is basically just trying to <laughs> stop them from operating. So I, I kind of have to hop with that. But that's the one thing that I feel like we covered a little bit, but we could probably dig into that a little bit more.
0: Thanks for hanging out, John. Let's go with Brad and then Nate.
6: I'll go ahead
4: with Nate first.
3: I'll, I'll be quick. Can you hear me? Am I am I good? You're good. Awesome. Um. I, first, I am so grateful for Joe. Thank you for bringing your knowledge and insight. I think all of us can say thank you as one here. Um, second, I don't want us to get lost in the trees, or don't miss the forest for the trees. Not your keys, not your cheese. Get this shit off these exchanges. If you know anybody with point on exchanges, get them off. Get them someplace safe in a hardware wallet. We have BTC sessions to educate. Everything is there. All of the tools are available. Protect yourself.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Some of you may be getting contacted by people that you know, if you're Bitcoiners or if you're new and you want to know how to do it, ask anybody. We'll all tell, teach you how to do this. Uh, and we won't charge you for it. Uh, especially, I mean, obviously your SWAN client will help you with that too, but um, Nate's right. Tons of people in this space will help you. Just ask for it. Go ahead, Brad.
4: So, just to clarify something that was said earlier, that someone was the thing was the guy that had to leave. He was saying that they're not sure if the Ethereum people were able to unstake after uh, you know because there was that whole thing about how they had launched Ethereum. Um, you know, it's not even two It's just whatever. It's the fork, the new chain, whatever the the new the new uh the new proof of stake chain that there was no exit there was no way to exit it and so they finally coded that in a couple of months ago and that was the Shanghai upgrade and they added the ability for everybody that wanted to to leave to exit and there was a huge run at the beginning because this was right around the time that uh, Kraken was facing pressure from the SEC for the Ethereum staking service. So there was um, a, like this is all connected in that w- why we're seeing Bitcoin not go down or sorry, Ethereum not go down faster than Bitcoin at the moment, because there's something like $18 billion worth of Ethereum staked at all these exchanges right now. And they do have the ability to unstake, but there's an exit queue, so it takes a little while. They can't just they can't just unstake 18, you know, 10 million ETH all at once and get out because there's some, some some sort of disruption to consensus that would happen if all these validators go offline. So they have an exit queue. So when the regulators come in and tell Kraken and Coinbase and Binance, hey, these are unregistered security offerings, these staking services that you're providing. What they can they have to kind of do plunge protection on Ethereum a little bit. Like the the ETH whale, like we discussed earlier, the ETH whales are taking their pre-mine and they're locking that up. So that signals that, oh, there's so much more Ethereum being added to the total stake supply. Well, that's because a lot of these people are Ethereum pre-mine benefactors and they want to dilute everybody else. They want to get the benefits of of the the dividends coming from the staking. So they're staking. It makes it look like the thing's more decentralized and also locks up more supply. But then also the big thing is that when Coinbase and Binance and Kraken have to make their customers whole and give their customers their ETH, they can't actually just unstake instantly and give their ETH to the customers. They actually have to go buy ETH. They have to enter the exit queue to get out of the staking contract. And then they have to go buy ETH to give to their customers. So you see the price of Ethereum is like almost like this. the SEC's actions against these exchanges temporarily is almost like a plunge protection. For Ethereum price, because they have to go buy the ETH to give it to the customers as they as they unwind these staking programs. So to me, like I still think ETHs going to five hundred. I still think there's going to be major capitulation in the crypto markets by Q four, maybe Q one. I got a I got a a a cube on the line with Eric Wall actually because I've been talking about how I think Bitcoin's going to a million, ETHs going to five hundred, and. Uh, I got I got a I got a cube a tungsten cube on the line, so I hope I'm right. Otherwise, I'm going to have to buy Eric Wall a tungsten cube. But I still think that this is just like playing out exactly like it did the last cycle. If you look at the last cycle, I've got this charted and I'll put it up later. But it, it's almost a mirror image, and it didn't. We didn't see capitulation on Ethereum and crypto coins until late 2019, and we're currently in a mirror of 2019. Bitcoin in early 2019 started to rise and it went up a lot and it ended the year 200 300 above the low of 2019 we're in that same trajectory now with bitcoin like bitcoin doesn't have all the baggage of unregistered securities and ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes and all these huge teams that now have to be funded to build these massive projects i was looking yesterday at the whole solana ecosystem and i was kind of getting a little depressed because i was like Holy crap, these guys still have billions of dollars. They've made like a Solana mobile phone. They have a helium network uh, for for cell phones now. They have this giant game development uh, funnel for like AAA games that are all built on the Solana stuff. But these guys are still the same as in 2019. They're still burning tons of money while their coins are not mooning like they were in the bull market. So they're burning through their treasuries. They're facing huge revolt from retail against this stuff as people pay less attention to it, and don't care about it, and get distracted by other things that are more real technologies like AI and stuff like that. And they have massive burn rates because their teams are building these really complex things into a bear market. And that's why you see all these people over the last three months saying we're back in a bull market, all these crypto people like doing the Pepe meme coin stuff and launching NFTs on Bitcoin and all this stuff. It's like you guys are doing bull market activity in a bear market. So you're just accelerating, burning your money. And that's the same as the Coinbase going after the SEC, trying to like lobby people to get behind it and saying this is an attack on crypto. The SEC is against crypto. You have to write your Congress people like they're burning tons of money on all these things they're trying to do. And in the end, I think it's going to be resolved the same way that it happened in 2009. Like the end of the 2017 bubble was two years of crazy bear market where the end of it was two years after. And it was like real capitulation where, where a lot of stuff just got delisted and went to zero. And we haven't seen that yet. So Bitcoin, I think, is going to be fine. Maybe we'll see lower prices. Doesn't matter. It's just a buying opportunity because Bitcoin has the same narrative. Doesn't matter if it's 2011 or if it's 2016 or 2021 or now. It's the same thing. Bitcoin is money. It's a savings. It's a way to like protect <laughs> yourself.
1: Yeah. It is. D- Charles, I've, Bi- I've been in
4: Bitcoin since right. 2011, and the Brad, narrative has not term, changed. Right. For me.
1: Short term, short term, you could be. You could make a good argument that the SEC and the Feds are throwing out the baby with bathwater a little bit. They're not. This doesn't affect Bitcoin. What What are they doing against Bitcoin? You've been talking a while. How does this affect Bitcoin? The bottom line is, if you're telling people to buy Bitcoin now, your financial advice, while the SEC just went back-to-back, two crypto exchanges in a row, seeking injunctive relief, alleging that they're operating unregistered uh, securities exchanges and so forth. That's a lot. I, I'm, yeah, sure I'm sure buying right? Bitcoin I right now. I how mean. That, a I mean... cost average, right? But not advised. Yeah, I didn't say go all in, average. Terrence. I didn't this say go about, all in. Like, I mean, Terrence, people how need to be prepared that, um... for a long, longer bear market. I know we're bullish, but reality, shit is hitting the fan. You need to face reality. So, all these oh, bullshit. Okay, so like you're talking about price. I'm keep... not
0: talking about price. You're,
1: well, I mean, Brad, what are you talking about?
4: I'm talking about the narrative of what Bitcoin is has not changed. Every single cycle, the narrative of what crypto is changes.
1: Among people who understand it, but if you talk to people who are less convicted, less educated, which is people. The narrative has changed. What are you talking about?
0: You hear that, Bitcoiners? Buying opportunity. Get ready to back no, up the truck. No, it hasn't. Bitcoin has
1: not. The narrative
4: of what Bitcoin is has not changed I'm in ten years. I'm talking
1: about the perception. Y- yes, I agree. The with
4: perception people. of it. The perception with of what term. Bitcoin is has not changed. The only, the only thing that. What are you that, talking about? If you listen to like BitBoy, yeah, the perception of what Bitcoin is has changed.
1: But if you, if you no, understand what Bitcoin it. is. I disagree so terrence if you listen to mainstream us. media the the, the it's what not mainstream of- media it's everybody you talk to on the fucking street okay and- well listen the, the, yeah.
4: let me finish my, my my point just to finish it up it's pretty much finished is that just be patient everybody else will come to the well most of the people will come to the realization that utility coins and uh mv equals pq and Ethereum's ultrasound money thesis is deflationary and all that stuff. It's all nonsense. And it was just all inflated by easy money, low interest rates, and market manipulation, wash trading, venture capitalists pumping billions of dollars into it. And there's there's billions of dollars of marketing money that went into this to convince people that this was a new financial system and it's innovation. But it's not. It's just a new way to recreate the same insider benefits of Wall Street that, that Satoshi created Bitcoin for to try to solve those things and make a more equitable base layer of money. And once you strip away all the like marketing material and all the billions in spending from these crypto casinos, you realize, okay, well, what is Ethereum? It's basically competing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Ethereum, every other cryptocurrency, they're all competing together. And when you look at it from what they actually fundamentally are, Bitcoin has not, the narrative of what Bitcoin is, the monetary policy of Bitcoin, nothing has changed in the, in 13 years. But every cycle, they need some new narrative to create new reasons why you need to buy Ethereum and buy the latest suite of Ponzi tokens that are being launched on Ethereum and crypto. And this is deflating now, but it's like taking some time. So just be patient. Obviously, this is going to take a little bit of time and like I said, the the crypto exchanges have to buy Ethereum to give it to their customers, and then once their customers get it, they're probably going to sell it once they realize what it is they're holding.
1: I, mean, I don't
0: quite agree. This, so, the, okay, the this is just an opinion. And I want to go with BJ Dichter. The the all of this is wildly, wildly bullish for Bitcoin, Terrence. I get what you're saying. Long term, yes. Well,
1: yeah, Not like short term.
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe. Look, maybe. how much volume? How much? How much? Okay, here's this scenario for you. How much volume does Coinbase do in Bitcoin every month? Do you know? Sam might know. I forgot. Sam, do you know? The sum. Okay. Anyway,
11: it's about. Um. Hold on. I'm, I just tweeted this, so I think
0: it's like forty-five. Forty-five percent. Hold on. Yeah, but in dollar terms, what are we talking about?
11: Uh, 32% in Bitcoin volume. Um, let me look at the dollar terms. I'll be right back.
0: I'll get back to you. All right. While he's looking that up, my feeling on it is this. If, for example, Joe is right and there's an emergency injunctive relief, they're asked to stop operations. What happens to all those people who are trying to buy Bitcoin?
4: They go to ethical Bitcoin companies like Swan Bitcoin and Cash App, and they buy Bitcoin at places where they don't sell them casino
0: crap. Yes, that's one of the effects. But do they stop buying Bitcoin? No, I don't think they do. I saw a really interesting stat from last month. Uh, Glassnode was basically saying that addresses with less than one Bitcoin in them are buying 27,000 Bitcoin a month right now. I'm sorry, 28,000, excuse me, 28,000 Bitcoin a month. We're mining 27,000 Bitcoin a month. So whether Joe Blow on the street understands this or not, I don't care. This is massively, all of this is massively, massively bullish in my mind for Bitcoin. Let's go with BJ Dictor.
12: Okay, don't yell at me, but I I actually think they're all right. I think Brad is right as well as Terrence. I think what Terrence is is referencing is a certain demographic. You know, like, uh, I don't know, my cousin, my brother, people I've been trying to orange pill
5: 8 three, four years,
7: people.
12: and then all of a sudden you know they're always looking for an excuse i almost got them over the edge to to come into bitcoin and then oh that's the stuff that the government the u.s government's going after and they don't understand they don't understand the complexity we understand because we're so into the markets so i think terrence is right about that but yeah, yeah. definitely over the
0: long term this but is that's your problem. job bj I'll- that's oh, your job. I'm man. doing my best, man. Like,
12: get, <laughs>
11: I'm doing
0: get good. As, as Steven Lobko would say in the back channel. Can I explain what I stop meant? Stop sucking.
12: <laughs> well, Alex hold on one, one more thing. I think one of the things I'm concerned about is we know so many people who use. Hold
7: on,
1: hold on, hold on, you, hold, on hold on. You're, you're very topics. You're explaining what I was saying. Let me explain <laughs> what I was saying. I know hold better. on, hold on, Let hold on. me, let me, on. Let me plane, land so. the plane. No, you, you. Okay, we literally we're talking. You literally were saying what I was saying, and I want to correct you. You basically got it right, but here's the problem I have with what Brad was saying. Yes. The narrative has changed for Bitcoin. We went from peer-to-peer electronic cash system, which was in the white paper, to um, you know whatever the fuck evading uh, uh, Feds uh, to do. You know uh, the Ross Ulbricht um, freedom money to inflation hedge, which didn't work, to long-term store of value. I still think. Bitcoin is extremely valuable. Why? Limit fixed supply, unstoppable, unconfiscatable. right? But okay, the okay. Terrence, Terrence, look, I've been, I've, been I've, been I've been in Bitcoin since 2011. I've been in Bitcoin since 2011. Bitcoin since 2014. Okay, uh, when I
4: got into Bitcoin in 2011, I got into Bitcoin for both peer-to-peer cash and digital gold store value. And it was the right. same thing then as it is now. It's the still peer cash isn't really
1: working at It scale. is.
4: That's what the that's
1: what, what we've been doing with the lightning about?
4: network for the last 3 4 years like and
1: the number of I'm transactions of transactions in the dollar value I'm investing I'm investing in companies globally that are doing the dollar value cash. Stop.
3: <laughs>
0: stop. Uh, let's let terrence finish his point. terrence uh please explain why this matters. Like, even if the narrative has changed, why does this matter? And then we're going to shift gears.
1: Because Brad said the narrative didn't change and he's wrong.
0: Okay, because regardless of whether Bitcoin, he's wrong or not, on, let's, pre- let's Let pretend for a second that you are correct. Yeah. Let's say for a second, you're right. Sure. Explain what you mean and why it matters and then we're going to move on.
1: Okay, so what I mean is Bitcoin, as <laughs> peer-to-peer electronic cash, has not worked at scale yet. It works for people at the margin, right, who are oppressed or trying to escape, you know, government uh, censorship and confiscation. That's a small percentage. Lightning is tiny. The number of transactions and the dollar value, it's fucking tiny. It's a joke. It's a fraction of what J.P. Morgan Chase itself does. Okay, Terence, look, That's we're talking about we're talking
4: about the narrative of what Bitcoin is. It hasn't changed. We've just you just got to be patient. It, it takes it, time to build the technology yeah, to so deploy Bitcoin as peer-to-peer yeah, cash. I, I, I it is reality, being right? used so,
1: as peer-to-peer cash. It has never stopped like being used VR, as peer-to-peer cash. This is just like saying VR is going to change everything back in 1982. Right. It no, you're, you're 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 yeah. accepting terms that hey crypto Brad. Eventually. Let,
4: Brad, let him finish right now. Brad, it doesn't him...
1: work. Well, I disagree the with the his premise scale. That's my point. <laughs> okay, that's fine. It doesn't work at scale. What the it fuck does, are you that's not talking? What no one's we're talking about. What the fuck are we're you We're not talking about ab- living reality, bro.
0: Okay, here's the problem. You guys are completely talking past each other, and I am trying to get you guys to a, a stopping point because it's nine eighteen. All right. We must shift gears. So you're both done. So thanks for being here. Both of you appreciate you guys. Uh, We're going to be talking here. I want to welcome also uh, Philip McPherson from Riot. Thanks for joining us, man. Um, Trust me, brother, the show's not always like this. It's only when Brad and Terrence apparently get in the same room
1: at the same time.
12: (laughs) It's my first time listening. It's interesting. Fucking yeah.
1: Canadians!
11: I'm shitting. <laughs> Alex, can I uh, update you on Sorry. what you're asking for?
1: Sorry, yeah, sir.
11: yeah. Go ahead. Sam. Real well, real quick. So they did. Uh, Coinbase did about forty-six billion in trading volume and brought in about one hundred nineteen million dollars in trading revenue from Bitcoin. The problem with trading volume is you don't know the percentage that were buys or sells. So you gotta take that uh, data with a grain of salt.
0: Okay, that's fair. Fair point. Um, right, so the beginning of the show, first hour of the show, Philip, just so to get you a little uh, caught up on, on the discussion here, first hour we were basically talking about how the SEC has charged both Coinbase and Binance. These are very interesting uh, nice. developments. <laughs> yeah, definitely interesting times that we're in. Um, and that's kind of led us to where we are uh, in the discussion now. We were kind of just talking about what happens with Bitcoin, what happens with Ethereum, et cetera uh for those of you who don't know phil um is with riot he's a uh, vp of capital markets and uh he's I, I ran into phil at bitcoin 2023 in miami and we had a quick exchange i was like hey you know we haven't had any updates from riot in a long time do you want to come talk to us about that stuff so invited him and here he is so thanks for joining us do appreciate it man yeah thanks uh, for having me alex you want to tell us a little for those of you for sure those people here who don't know anything about you or riot maybe a little bit of background on you with riot and then what's riot all about and um sure you, know, you can talk about how it all started and where you are today etc yeah
12: and um you know enjoy the banter um it's always interesting to hear you know uh, conflicting opinions and bitcoin is you know people are quite controversial i kind of joke you know i work with a bunch of bitcoin maximalists at riot i'm the bitcoin capitalist i've spent most of my career as a as a sell side analyst covering energy companies and brought my energy expertise to riot to kind of shape our energy policy and our mining uh, kind of plans. And, and what it's resulted in is us being one of the lowest cost producers because of our energy strategy. And um, for people that aren't familiar with riot, we run one of the largest Bitcoin mining facilities in the world located in Rockdale, Texas. Uh, we're currently have an installed capacity of about 10 and a half X a hash, which would be, you know, depending on the day, uh, you know, around two and a half, three 3% of the global network.
0: And uh, the so reason so we're in tiny. Texas. So it's a tiny, it's, tiny mining company.
12: It's, it's you know, it's, we're one of the bigger ones, but, you know, relative to the global stage, that's the beauty of Bitcoin is that not really one company could control uh, the entire market, right?
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, okay. So a couple of things, one thing that you said is that lowest cost producer, how do you come to that? Uh, what do you mean when you say lowest cost producer?
12: So, uh, last year our all in cost from a, um, electricity standpoint was around $11,000 per Bitcoin. And so when you look at the industry, um, you know, there's people that are in the high twenties, there's $20,000 per Bitcoin. Um, we're one of the top two or three kind of in that $11,000 range. Our first quarter uh, production, we were actually sub uh, 10,000. So it's all about man- managing your energy costs. And the beauty of the Texas grid is that we're able to enter into long term contracts for our power at fixed prices, um, which is you know about 75, 80% of your costs to mine Bitcoin as power. And then, depending on what the grid is doing on any given day, whether it's sunny out or whether the wind is blowing, because um, a lot of people aren't aware that Texas is one of the largest renewable grids um, in the United States, we're able to uh, manage our power costs by either uh, you know running at full tilt, 100% utilization on days when uh, power prices are, are below the price of Bitcoin equivalent. and then on days when the power spikes due to intermittency of, of renewables, we're able to idle our machines and sell power back into the grid to support the grid and at the same time you know be what I call profit maximalists. you know we, we're trying to make money. we're a public company
0: got it all right so 11000 per bitcoin all in cost of 11000 per bitcoin of which 75 to 80% if i'm understanding you correctly is is the cost of energy yep um can you disclose like how much you're buying energy for or are you got are you guys allowed to talk about that
12: we just we 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 do look back, see, the power companies are very um, strict with their NDAs as far as when you enter into these contracts. So we we, we do publicly disclose as much as possible. Um, we have about 345 megawatts of contracted power Uh, some of which is 10-year contracts, some of which is five-year contracts. What we try to do is give the market a look back on what the power cost average. So last year, um, you know, we were including power sales, which we sold about $30 million worth of power. Our uh, power cost was about three cents a kilowatt hour.
0: That's pretty good, I guess.
12: (laughs) It's it's, it's really good. (laughs) Um, Especially last year, you know, you know, on the on the crust of um, you know Russia invading Ukraine, we had this you know huge kind of uh, you know natural gas run where I think you know in my opinion some of the gas prices were a little bit manipulated. But when you think about the price of natural gas, if you look at it, you know, right now it's about two bucks an MCF. Um, last year it hit eight or nine dollars per MCF. And when you try to when you when you reverse engineer that into the cost of electricity. The rule of thumb is that every dollar per MCF equals about one penny per kilowatt hour, plus or minus, you know, depending on who who's the uh, the electrical supplier. So last year, you know, the, the guys that were running natural gas in Texas, their cost for power to supply to the grid was, you know, around eight or nine cents um, at, you know, industrial scale solar or industrial scale wind. Um, your cost is usually around two to three cents, and so last year the the renewable guys were crushing it because they were able to bid into the grid at these super low prices. And then the way that the electrical grid works is you it's it's kind of like a level two with with stocks or with any other security. You have people bidding into the market where they have their their cost structure. And, um, you know, they can play that market where, you know, if you're the lowest cost supplier, most people are going to buy from you because they're trying to lock in that price. So the natural gas guys last year were getting blocked out of the market. Now, the beauty of the, of the Texas grid is on those days when it wasn't as sunny and it was cloudy out or like in July when the wind wasn't blowing because it was extremely hot, those renewables come off the grid. And then at the same time, you have a tremendous amount of demand. Um, you know, because it's hot out, right? And so then the power prices spike, and then the natural gas guys were killing it because they could sell prices at, you know, sometimes, you know we're 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 you know in the three to four cent range, um, from a hedge perspective, you know, power prices might have gone to a dollar per kilowatt hours. It was absolutely nuts. And <clears throat> I jokingly, when you reverse engineer prices of energy into Bitcoin, which we do a lot, um, you know, $30,000 Bitcoin equals about 14, 15 cents a kilowatt hour. We had days where, you know, power prices spiked so high that we joked that we were the first Bitcoin company to sell Bitcoin for a million dollars because that's what the power is worth when you reverse engineer it. So it's wow. a pretty, it's a pretty wild West market um, in the energy trading world
0: because so a lot of- Is it consum- is it yeah, fair to say that that you guys are basically like peaker plants but you make money when there's no demand to. For that's a great uh, that's a
12: great way to like in the perfect world there would be a bitcoin mine at every peaker plant in the world because they could mine bitcoin and use that electricity at a time when nobody needs it and then at the time when that peaker plant needs to be turned on which you know typically they need to be able to respond within 60 seconds You could ramp down your Bitcoin mining and then and then that power could go to the grid. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think ultimately, you're going to see more and more of that as people understand that Bitcoin mining is really like a battery. I mean, it's 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 a way to, you know, um, you know, use use power at times when nobody's using it and then shut it off and and distribute that power, um, you know, when people need it.
0: Man, I love it. That's exactly how I think about it, too. So uh, to me, Bitcoin's a gigantic battery. Totally agree with that. By the way, Warren Bunger, uh, Warren Buffett, Warren <laughs> Warren Buffett. If you're listening to this, uh, hey, there you go. Well, and, know, it's interesting. It's
12: interesting you bring that up because Munger's, you know, one of Munger's biggest quotes that you read is, you know, show me a person's motivation and I'll show you their actions. And Munger and and Berkshire Hathaway right now are trying to build ten billion dollars worth of peaker plants in Texas. So, yep. who are they? Who who are they attacking? Bitcoin, 100%. right? And and so now that you know why they're attacking us, it actually, you know, it, it's actually. Uh, a rewarding feeling, right? Because they're not just saying it's rat poison for you know for no unknown reason. Well, it, it's like, because yeah, we're if, we're if they were
0: super if they were super smart, just like you said, they would just they would just drop a, a data center on the on the pe- peaker plant property yep. and do both. Why wouldn't you yeah. do uh, anyway? Yeah, it's um, crazy. Just a quick comment to the audience: when we're done with this, we're going to wrap the show at the normal time here in about thirty minutes. But when we're finished, we're not closing the space. This thing is going to run probably all day, just like it did yesterday. We're going to have continuous discussion of this situation that's ongoing uh, with the SEC suits against Binance and Coinbase. As we discover more information, we'll be reporting that to you live as we go. Also, uh, we didn't do announcements, but later today at 1 p.m., we did a live uh, uh, show on Swan. It'll be dropping on the Swan YouTube channel at 1 p.m. Where um we did a live show with a whole bunch of great guests and uh discussing everything having to do with Binance yesterday. So if you want to catch that, that's dropping at 1 p.m. It had Lynn Alden, Preston Pish, Steven Lubka, Joe Carlosari, uh, and others. Oh, it's out. Jacob's telling me it's already out. So if you guys want to go check that out, you can.
7: Is, is that is that time that you're talking about, Alex? sorry what just just to clear that up so um yesterday at uh about 1 p.m we had lynn alden Preston pish uh hoffa was there joe carlos are like a lot of great people and they were kind of breaking down what happened in the finance uh sec filing stuff last or yesterday so um yeah it was a great time and um if you guys have time to go over to youtube check that out but now with the coinbase uh it's kind of funny it feels like a little bit of old news but um uh, but yeah still Still not no, no,
0: really. still pertinent, still pertinent.
7: Uh, okay, <laughs> Phil, back to
0: you. yeah,, uh, this question is a little maybe off topic of ride a little bit, but I did want to you're in the industry and you have insight into this. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. I've saw these um, I don't know if you want to call them rumors or whatever, but i've I've seen people talking about how Russia is buying a huge number of ASIC miners. Uh, is do you know anything about this? Is this true? Do you think this is a thing? Does it even matter?
12: So, I mean, I, I think I read all the same, you know, blogs and posts that that most people in this industry read. And I mean, trying to, to understand whether data that comes out of whether it's Russia, Iran, China, I mean, I've always, you know, joked from an, an economist standpoint that the GDP numbers you read are, you know, falsified right in China. So, I, I you know, data that comes out of those places is hard to discern whether it's true or not. Now, my gut feeling is that um, the, there is a lot of state mining going on. Um, we I mean, you know in China, especially, even post ban, there you can still see that people are mining. I think the thing that people don't understand, is that they're probably getting or giving free energy to those miners in return to get those uh, Bitcoin to some form of state government or some you know crony that is that's connected some way. But as far as trying to validate it and and know if it's true or not, it's more of a gut feeling. There's nothing empirical that I could point to and say this is exactly what's happening. Um, but when you see the global hash rate, you know increase during. A crypto winner uh there's obviously something going on right and if you're not paying for power then you don't care you're just running your machines you know no matter what i was told one time by somebody that there's you know in the forest of venezuela there's a hundred thousand machines mining bitcoin and that's how they get around sanctions using bitcoin to you know uh trade and, and do things in that nature and i asked somebody from venezuela what they thought about that and they said it was 100 percent true somebody i met actually at the uh at at the uh, bitcoin conference last month so um it's you know some of it's conspiracy theory but i think we're all finding out in this uh you know day and age that a lot of these conspiracy theories are coming true
0: (laughs) that's the one of the things i like to joke about it's really funny if you (laughs) you rewind the clock like 10 years ago like the the prepper in your circle everybody looked at him like yeah okay whatever man and nowadays it's like hey bro you got any tips
12: (laughs) yeah (laughs) what's what's next right uh yeah. I mean, that's one of the fun things about Bitcoin. I mean, I was in the energy sector for 20 years and um, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, we were attacked by environmentalists. Like, you know, we we're the poster child for being attacked by environmentalists and how bad we were for everything. And then, you know, I moved over to Bitcoin and I'm thinking, Oh, this is going to be great. And sure enough, here they come. They're coming after us, you know, this way. So <laughs> it, it, you can't run, you can't hide. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Funny stuff. Okay. So talk to me uh, about what, riot is doing right now like what are you guys currently working on what's exciting to you guys
12: yeah so we're about finished with our rockdale facility this is the one that's about an hour north of austin um it's uh you know we'll be at 12 and a half exahash um by the late third quarter early fourth quarter and then we broke ground about nine eight nine months ago on our second facility which will be in corsicana texas which is an hour south of Dallas. Um, that facility sits next to a thousand uh, megawatt, um, tr- you know, um, uh, switch, you know, switch yard, whatever you want to call it. So it will be the one that we're at now is 700 megawatts. This one will be even bigger, you know, kind of sticking with the Texas theme that everything's bigger in Texas. And <clears throat> that bu- that site We'll uh, start receiving machines probably end of this year, early first quarter next year, and uh, we'll build ten buildings there. So it'll be a you know 100 megawatts per building, a thousand megawatts with using the latest and greatest, you know, machines, whether it's a, you know, XP or what have you, um, it's going to have total capacity of about 40 to say 50 X a hash when it's fully completed. And so we've committed to the first four buildings uh, to be built, you know, uh, in kind of the next, you know, six to 12 months. And then we'll layer in these six additional buildings, depending on market conditions and, and access to capital and um you know how depending on how fast we want to grow but it gives us a lot of running room um which is unique i think in this industry that we have kind of a a vision for the next you know 3 to 4 years where we can really grow faster than the global network which is kind of our goal as a bitcoin miner is we want to maintain or increase our market share of the global
0: network okay so this <clears throat> brings me to a really or you just brought up a really great thing in that Uh, You're kind of laying the groundwork, so to speak, for bringing on a whole ton of of additional computing power, exahash. Competing in the marketplace for mining share. How does this work into real numbers in terms of like profitability for the company? What do you guys like in this next uh, bull run that we're probably about to hit that most people in Bitcoin think that we're moving into? How does that benefit you as a business? You're a publicly traded company. Um, and so these numbers kind of matter to people who are investing in you,
12: sure. So you know let's use round numbers. If our you know cost to operate right now is about ten thousand dollars of Bitcoin, when the having approaches you know a little less than a year from now, that day our our costs automatically double, right? Because we'll get half as much Bitcoin, but we're still consuming the exact same amount of energy. So we go to twenty thousand. Now, you know fortunately, in a commodity world, you know you're 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 always fighting to be the lowest cost producer. Um, you know, if your if your costs were twenty five thousand, then it immediately goes to fifty thousand, and so then that marginal producer is the way I look at it. They're the ones that we you know you, you kind of watch for where the price of Bitcoin's at. If Bitcoin is below fifty thousand dollars, then post having that marginal producer is either you know going to run at a loss as long as they can, hoping that things get better, or they're going to go out of business, or they're going to turn their machines off. And the beauty of the of the Bitcoin network is that when those machines come off the network all things you know else created equal riot would actually gain market share without doing anything else because we would get more bitcoin that day obviously as as having more of the network and so then that translates in our cost going lower because again we're using the same amount of electricity so what the the uniqueness of bitcoin as a commodity um, is so much different than when i was in the oil and gas space i mean in the oil and gas space you know price of oil goes up more people, more rigs are put to work more wells are drilled more oil comes onto the market you know and it's econ 101 supply and demand equate and you know prices usually come down but in, in the Bitcoin world, it's different, right? Prices go up, more people put more miners on. Um, you know, Demand is, is I think, gonna outstrip supply because as you go into the halving, you go from having you know 900 Bitcoin a day that's available for sale from the mining space to 450, right? And so if all things are created equal and demand remains the same to own Bitcoin, then that's what gets people, I think, excited about the bullish cycle coming into the next halving. And so specifically to Riot, we're focused on maintaining our market share, number two, maintaining our low cost and then that should translate us into generating you know significant cash flow and and profits Now we don't, none of us know where Bitcoin will be a year from now or even a day from now, so that's why we can only focus on you know our cost kind of uh you know structure and and then you know hope that we're right and uh, you know our belief in bitcoin and and that the, you know the rest will take care of itself
0: all right so the other day we had Godzilla uh, who you work with, she jumped yep. in here. She comes in here every now and then. We love her. She's awesome. Yeah, um, she's great. And she mentioned something about that. You guys are already involved pretty heavily in uh, immersion mining and that you will be more heavily involved in immersion mining moving forward. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so just
12: a quick background for, for anybody who doesn't know it. Immersion mining... Is basically taking the machines that have, you know, if you remember your old desktop, you know, computers that have these large fans on the back of them, we remove the fans, we remove the metal housing, and we submerge that machine into a bathtub of dielectric fluid, it, it resembles like a baby oil. And what that allows us to do is we can through a closed loop system, we can cool that fluid to the perfect temperature where that miner is kind of in its sweet spot where it wants to operate. And what that allows us to do is it reduces our maintenance time, you know, reduces our downtime, the biggest benefactor is we believe it'll extend the life of the machines, which from a, a public company standpoint, you know, increases our return on capital. And then eventually, I think the firmware and some of the other things that we've heard about will catch up and we'll start to be able to overclock a little bit more consistently, which has kind of been the, the bugaboo, if you will. It's just taken longer um, to get software to, to merge with hardware in some cases. And so our second facility in Corsicana will be 100% immersion. And one of the things I think that people don't realize is as these machines get more and more powerful, they run hotter and hotter. And so if you're in an environment like Texas where you have hot summers, you're gonna have to use immersion in order to keep the latest and greatest machines running, um, you know, optimally. And uh, I think as chips get thinner, you know, we go from five nanometer to three nanometer. Some people are talking eventually you get to one nanometer it's the same with your phone. We've all experienced that day where you all of a sudden that in, in your pocket, the phone is heating up and you can feel it, right? That's because things are running faster, hotter, and the chips are getting thinner, which are then also harder to cool. And so that's where immersion kind of comes in to solve that problem. And um, we think that that's going to be the future of Bitcoin mining, at least for us in Texas um, going forward.
0: Okay. Hey, Phil, do you, is there anything major that you want to talk about that we haven't hit yet? You can go ahead and do that. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to open it up for questions, both from the panel and the audience. Okay. Anything major you want to talk about? Yeah. I think that, you know, what's
12: interesting, you know, the, the, in the news cycle, obviously what's going on is, um, you know, with the SEC and all that, I mean, Riot is a public company. You know, we're, we're, I think we're one of the most transparent companies in the space. You can go on our website, you can go into the SEC, you can look at all of our documents, um, we do a great job of educating, I think, the public with a lot of videos which are on Twitter, on you know LinkedIn, what have you. And so we feel like we're trying to lead from the front. We spend a lot of money on policy. Um, I know you guys know Pierre, our head of Bitcoin Research, and he does a great job getting out there and kind of explaining things and and you know, teaching the politicians that, you know we're not all bad actors, that this is an industry. And I think when I came back from Bitcoin, Miami, that was my message to most of my my team. I said, this is an industry. It's not just mining. It's not just immersion. It's not just exchanges. It's one big industry. There's lawyers. There's construction. There's engineering. There's so many smart people that have dedicated their lives to this. And when I left Bitcoin Miami, I had never been more excited about being in the in the in the sector. It was just uh, I thought it was one of the best conferences that they put on. And you know I think as uh, as this industry grows up, hopefully the um, the, uh, the the toxic uh, maximalist you know decreases and people realize we're all in this together, and that there's a big bright future here for all of us to participate in.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And with that said, I would like you guys to come out and hang out hang out with us at Pacific Bitcoin because let's do it.
12: Yeah, I live in yeah, Huntington I mean, Beach. Up, I'm a, I'm a Southern California guy, so I will. Uh, I'd love to come out. Last year, I forget what was going on. There was a conflict last year that some of our team members went, but I wasn't there. But I'm looking forward to it this year.
0: Well, I mean, clearly we need to help with priorities here, Phil. We can talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's open it up for questions. Uh, Nate, what do, you, what do you got, man?
3: Am I clear? Can you hear me? You're good. Cool. Uh, quick uh, PSA, 10 states are suing Bitcoin in uh, the security Fraud action taken by the SEC as well. Um
0: secondly, suing Coinbase. Yes, sir. You said Bitcoin.
3: Sorry. <laughs> The, go ahead, try it. No, um, Philip, can you uh, can you talk about your fixed uh, cost of energy and the deal you worked out with the Texas Grid? Um, I've I've run into several conversations uh, with locals from the Texas area that have complained uh, and you know said said some mean things about you. Um, <laughs> so I, I would like to be armed with the correct information going forward. And basically, is this a fixed rate that you negotiated, or are you operating in the open market um,
12: like everyone else? So there, there's two components. So we have fixed rates. We have three separate contracts with three different terms and and three different fixed prices. And we, but you know, at the uh, Rockdale facility, there's a 5,000 megawatt switch. So it's one of the largest switches in the state of Texas. And we basically just plug into the largest you know power socket in the world, basically. So we buy. We're agnostic to technically where that power comes from. It's it's just a switch which is moving power from the west side of Texas to the east side of Texas. And so we're just absorbing those molecules um, from that switchyard. Now, in reality, that you know, the grid is as I talked about before, is about 40, 45% renewable. So, you know, you've got renewables, you've got natural gas, you have a small amount of nuclear and a small amount of coal, and they all throw that electricity into the same grid. And so you're just buying molecules. Where you're kind of agnostic to where they really came from because we're not buying directly from a wind producer or a solar producer. Regarding you know the spot market, which is what you're referring to. So anytime we exceed our um, fixed block on a day, we would go into the spot market and being and buy prices at that. Whatever that prevailing price is, so we don't dictate that prevailing price. And if the prevailing price is higher than what it would be worth on a Bitcoin equivalent, we would tend to idle our machines and not be buying power in, in the spot market. Um, I think what consumers are worried about, and I think it's a little bit um, ignorance, for lack of a better word, is that they think that we are the ones pushing these power prices up and causing you know the harm to them. And and really, you know, it's, Texas is a deregulated energy market, which is what. The, the citizens in Texas voted for. Um, you know, in Southern California, when you buy a house, you get a bill from Southern California Edison. Here's your power. This is what you get. Take it or leave it. In Texas, when you buy a house, you have to go to a website where there's like 500 electricity produce uh, providers, and you have to pick your contract. Pick what you know. If you want fixed, you want variable. You have all these choices, right? You're supposed to the consumer. Supposed to have these great choices, and so I think. You know, that kind of clouds the issue that some people don't maybe understand it as well, um, or maybe they're not getting the guidance as well. But is from our perspective, um, you know, we feel like we're, we're helping the grid by the fact that when there are those days where there's extreme demand, we're able
0: to... Is it me or did I, we lose, Phil? That that you Can you hear, me. hear and find
12: Yeah, it. yeah. Um, on those days of extreme demand, we can idle our machines and then allow that power back into the grid to help stabilize prices. And if anything, I think we put a cap on prices because as soon as you know the price of electricity goes above the price of Bitcoin, which right now would be about let's just say fifteen cents a kilowatt hour, we're incentivized to come off the grid and sell power as opposed to mining Bitcoin. And so we actually put an artificial cap on the price of electricity. Um, you know, as opposed to you know running the price up because we don't want the price to go higher we're We're not in the business to speculate on weather or electricity prices. we 're in the business to mine Bitcoin. Can you offer some clarity on that because that was one of the key issues in the
3: in the, uh, the, le- the, the local legislature um, and the I guess the governor's uh, approval or order to keep the price high for a couple of days longer than he should have. Um, I, I guess that whole
12: situation. Well, the governor doesn't control the price of electricity. So the price of electricity is Ecom 101, supply and demand. So when you have a hot day in Texas, if you've ever looked at anything in the the renewable space, there's there's this great thing called the duck curve, which basically explains consumption throughout the day. So if you think about everybody gets up in the morning and they make coffee and they're making breakfast, getting ready for work, energy demand is quite high. And then everybody goes to work. Um, and, and, you know, the, right at that time is when all the solar power starts coming on because of the, you know, obviously it's daytime. And so usually power prices decrease during the day while everybody's at work because there's less demand and there's more sunshine. Then when everybody goes home from work, that's when people really use the most power, right? You start cooking dinner, you're doing laundry, you turn on your three big screen TVs, whatever it is, right? And at that same time, the sun is setting. So there's this curve called the duck curve that explains this. Power phenomenon, and for guys like us, which are we're again agnostic to time and location, that's the best of all worlds because we can soak up those molecules when nobody else is using them. Then you throw in the wind power, which is very specific to Texas and Oklahoma. Um, you know, when I was an energy analyst, we called Texas the Saudi Arabia of wind, and it's a real easy way to think of it: is all the wind comes from the Pacific Coast. It hits the Rocky Mountains, and then the low pressure system in the Gulf of Mexico pulls all that wind down through the panhandle. And so when you drive into West Texas, all you see is windmills for miles and miles and miles. It's you know, there's like about thirty five um, uh, gigs of um, of wind power in Texas. And so the point being is wind tends to blow the most at night. And when everybody gets home from work, that wind power comes on, which helps with that demand. But then when everybody goes to bed at 9, 10 o'clock at night, all that power is being generated with nobody to use. And so, you know, prior to Bitcoin mining, that power is was just wasted. They basically spill it into the ground, um, and it's unused. And and the grid doesn't like that because the grid doesn't want to look like a roller coaster going up and down. It wants to be very balanced. Um, and so, miners can come in and buy that power. <clears throat> you know, in large blocks, like we do with our our fixed contracts. And in some cases, during those those time periods, power prices go negative, because there's too much power. So um, the point being is, if you look at Texas as a whole, all the energy generation is on the west side of Texas, all the people live on the east side of Texas. And if you look at where most Bitcoin mining is, we're somewhere in between the middle, because we're absorbing those molecules that cannot get from west to east. And, And that's the beauty of the business model. One one last thing. I'm sorry, Peter. Uh, just real quick, because you're on fixed costs,
3: but you do sell to the open market. Do you think there's a um, a conflict uh, a conflict of interest or in- incentives there? Because um, I know when the demand goes up and the grid requires a little bit more freedom, you guys put take your foot off the gas. But you like that gives you an opportunity. While you're next to the
12: energy printer so to say <laughs> yeah I mean it, I mean' we're, the fact that we when you buy these contracts they're called take or pay contracts so if you don't have an industry that can use the electricity then you'd be speculating just on the market um and be no different than you know trading options on something right like you're you're basically out there naked on one side or the other the fact that we can consume the energy is what gives us this natural hedge because we want to mine bitcoin but we're also, as I said, I you know the term we kind of came up with this profit maximalist, which is kind of funny. Is then, you know in days when it's more profitable to sell power, that's what we're going to do, and that actually benefits the grid because we become an unnatural supplier of power into the grid, which isn't normally there. Um, but I you know I get people's you know uh, skepticism and. You know, being uh, you know, trying to make money is always viewed bad, and and um, you know we're the villains, you know, and we're, and we're the easy you know kind of uh, you know scapegoat. But I think as you dig into what's going on in the world in Texas specifically, and I think the amount of renewables that's being added to the grid, most of that's because of um, you know people like us that can come in and, and take these contracts, which basically allow those people to finance their new builds. I, I appreciate your, your welcoming answers.
3: Uh, I am of the of the faithful so you don't really have to convince me i'm i'm, I'm looking for uh, cogent arguments and actual facts i can bring to individuals in texas and uh in these kinds of situations that can we can like see look this is why and this is why it works um well, you know, and have, what's have interesting you have you considered just, local education for individuals that may
12: not be on board or at least looking at towards the facts Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of stuff locally, um, whether it's on Bitcoin. I don't think we get that much into energy, but it might be a good idea. Um, You know, if you look at our corporate uh, presentations, we do spend quite a bit of time talking about energy, talking about the Texas market, um, getting out there. And, and, you know, I I can't there's so many people I talk to that their eyes light up when I say, you know, Texas is, you know, 35, 40 percent renewable and they're like what are you talking about that's impossible they have more renewables than california i tell them and they're like what that's impossible right and so um you know i think educating people like that to the to the facts is 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 you know part of our, my job and part of our industry's job
0: thank you yep all right let's go hey, peter and then about, we have a uh good
7: you talked about peaker plants in berkshire hathaway um a little earlier and yep were you just kind of. Uh, Inform me what a peaker plant is um, and how your strategy to take share from Berkshire Hathaway is uh, is going.
12: Sure. So the Texas grid in round numbers is about 100,000 megawatts of total installed capacity. And the term installed capacity means that at any given moment, if everything was running, you would have 100,000 megawatts of power. Now in reality, nothing ever runs 100%, right? So an average day in Texas consumes about 50,000 megawatts. So there's twice as much capacity as the average demand. And a lot of people always scratch their head, like why is there twice as much? Well, I was just at a conference in Puerto Rico and within the first hour of being there, the power went out. That's why there's twice as much capacity in most US grids, because most Americans, you know, if your power went out every day, would get pretty pissed and and you know they they would vote out that politician. So, you know, I think you know, overall people in the US are are a little bit spoiled with you know the amount of electricity that they have. Everybody just flips on the switch and takes it kind of for granted, right? But it's that excess capacity. Um, that has been built into the grid that is part of it is these peaker plants. And so what a peaker plant is, is if it's a hot summer day in July, and, um, you know, demand goes from 50,000 on a normal day to 75,000 megawatts, there has to be plants available to fit that gap so that you don't have a brownout or blackout. And so what the government does is they incentivize companies like the one that the, 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 the Berkshire Hathaway subsidiary, they will basically pay them to build these peaker plants and, and be idle. And so that the plant sits there and 90% of the time that plant does not run. And they're paid, I don't know the number, but let's just say they're paid three or four cents a kilowatt hour to be idle. So they can cover their cost of capital and they can earn their, their 10 or 12% rate of return. Then on that day in July, when the heat, you know, uh, hits and everybody starts, you know, turning on their air conditioners, the ERCOT grid alerts that peaker plant and says, we need a thousand megawatts in in 30 minutes. And then they start cranking them up and then they start providing electricity to the grid so that as that demand comes into the grid, there is sufficient supply in the grid. So like we we do it the opposite way. We participate in a program called the 4CP, which is the four coincidental peaks, which is the four hottest months in, in, um, in summer, June, July, August, and September. And it works the opposite way they could say, hey guys, you know, at Riot, this Wednesday, we see that, you know, the the weather says it's gonna be 105 degrees, You know, in the shade in Texas. We know the power demand is going to go up. So we're going to require you guys to curtail your power consumption from the hours of 4 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday. And so they'll give us an alert kind of, you know, maybe I don't know if it's 48 hours or 72 hours in advance so that we're standing by. And then the day of they'll say, okay, we need 100 megawatts off at this time. And so then we are anticipating that we'll ramp down 100 megawatts of, of mining rigs and allow that energy to go back into the grid. Now, it's not all a utopian. We we are able to sell that energy back into the grid at whatever the prevailing price is, because we own that block. But that's how the model works, and so that's kind of the it's it's kind of like a peaker plant, but in reverse. Where instead of us, you know, ramping up our electricity generation like a peaker would, we're ramping down our consumption and allowing that electricity back into the grid.
0: Okay, last couple of questions, then we're going to let Phil make some closing comments, and we're going to move to wrap up this section of Cafe Bitcoin. A reminder, we are not closing the spaces today. We're going to be running Swan Spaces all day, probably, uh, to continue the discussion of the SEC charging both Binance and Coinbase. So, Peter, go ahead with the next question, and then I have another one from the audience.
7: So the question I have then is: I mean, I understand I understand how Bitcoin works with this, um, and I understand how the peaker plants work with this. They're kind of opposing ends as you were discussing. Why doesn't the public utility? It would seem like instead of paying for that for that peaker plant, that it would benefit the public utility to go ahead and build that infrastructure themselves. It's, I mean, if it's profitable for, for private industry, it must be profitable for the for the public utility as well. So. Why why is it that they don't do the peaker plants themselves?
12: Well, I mean, typically a public utility doesn't own any energy generation, right? So, um, and out, I mean, at least in te- in Texas, like if you go to the you know Tennessee Valley Authority, they own you know hydro dams and things like that. So I think every market is has their own nuances. The way Texas. Tends to work is that kind of you know um, entrepreneurial spirit. They they want everything in the hands of the of the you know the private companies of entrepreneurs. The government's trying to have less involvement. Um, I, but yeah, I mean that's a good point. I I don't know why you know they they you know why they would or wouldn't. It could be a funding issue. Um, it might be it's cheaper for them to basically pay Warren Buffett to to be on standby than it is for them to go invest the ten billion dollars of of having the the, the capacity there. Um, But um, I, you know, I don't have a real strong opinion on whether government should own energy assets or not. Um, There's other grids like we used to mine in in, uh, New York, which is, uh, is not deregulated. And, um, you know, power prices were insane. Like you, you just it wasn't, you know, you couldn't mine, you know, we couldn't mine in New York at the same competitive price. You're never going to build a large scale Bitcoin mine in, in California. My power prices in Southern California, like we're talking three, four cents in Texas. I mean, here it'd be 25, 30 cents. It, it's just not economical. And, uh, you know, some of that is due to some of the policies that the politicians have put in here. Um, to not allow competition and not allow people to have free markets on energy. So I think you can it's like a, it's it's you know, uh, you can look at it both ways, right? You can see how it's working in Texas to have entrepreneurs building windmills building solar facilities, and providing this low cost power and how it's bringing industry and competition there. And then you flip to California where it, it, it doesn't, you know, doesn't exist.
0: All right, if that satisfies your curiosity. Peter, the next question is coming from Nikolai Hay in the audience, or I'm sorry, Hell, in the audience. He wants to ask you, Phil, if you worry at all about Riot's long-term ability to compete as an independent, and his definition there is a miner who doesn't own one's own source of power and uh, is a merger in that context possible, do you think, for Riot? Do you have you guys thought about? I'm adding a little uh, context sure, here. Sure. Have you thought about um, becoming a power company or getting bought by one, maybe.
12: We have looked at it, you know, as one of the like truly vertically integrated companies where we own facilities. We actually own uh, an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer that makes a lot of the equipment that goes in our buildings. We're always looking for ways to get deeper in, into our vertical integration. Um, owning power would obviously eliminate one of the one of the, the like I guess the risk factors, right? Um, you know, can we always get these you know cheap? long-term power contracts, who knows? Um, I think Bitcoin mining in general will always oscillate towards the lowest cost power. And you know, we're seeing people doing stuff internationally now where there's cheap hydropower. Um, we've stuck to Texas. We, we kind of feel like we have a, a competitive advantage there. Our Corsicana facility is one of the only fully permitted large um, expansion projects going on in Texas right now. There's a lot that are in the queue but haven't been approved. But yeah, we, we would look at something um you know, people aren't giving away peaker plants, but we would love to buy one if we could find the right deal and, and it was the right price and it, it penciled out. You know, at the end of the day, given our kind of the low cost of power that we've locked in, that's kind of the the the, the benchmark where we we look at every every deal. It has to be, you know, competitive with what we've already got. Um, and I my belief in Texas right now is I think power prices in Texas are going to be lower for longer Um, with extreme volatility on these days when the wind isn't blowing and and the sun isn't shining. And, And for us, that's the perfect environment. The reason I believe that Texas power prices are gonna be lower for longer is that there's just a tremendous amount of natural gas that's coming out of the Permian Basin. And as a former oil guy, Um, As you drill, you know, basins and they become more mature, they tend to get gassier. It's just a kind of a fact of geology. As you deplete the reservoir um, and you lower the liquids component, you get more natural gas. And right now, there's so much natural gas in the Permian, they can't get it anywhere. And so until that phenomenon changes, the natural gas plants and the peaker plants will be able to compete with solar and wind at this kind of three, four cents. And so I think it really sets us up for (coughs) probably a decade's worth of cheap power in Texas is, is kind of my view.
0: All right. Uh, do appreciate you joining us, Phil. And yeah, this uh, is great updates on what riots got going on. It's been a really great discussion. So we're going to wrap here. Uh, let you make a uh, couple of closing comments if you want, and then I'll close this, this part of the show out. And we're going to keep rolling with swan spaces after that.
12: No, this is great. I appreciate the questions. And it's always fun to educate people and, You know, I spent, you know, 20 years educating people on energy, and now I'm doing the same with with kind of Bitcoin mining. And I feel like Riot is uh, a leader in what we're doing, and uh, we're kind of pushing the envelope any way we can to continue our leadership. And, you know, all our shareholders out there, we appreciate your support, and uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, continuing executing.
0: Fantastic. Great stuff. Peter, do you have a – I mean, do you have something? Yeah, I have
12: have, have one more
7: question. I have one more question to ask. So it's really easy for the peaker plants um, and, or it's not, maybe not easy, but it's built into the peaker plants and, and the uh, the Bitcoin mining operations to be able to uh, spin up and turn off relatively quickly, I'm assuming. I know with the, with the Bitcoin mining plants it is. So why is it that utilities can't do that?
12: So, I mean, like uh, uh, natural gas cogen plants are basically bigger, bigger peaker plants. And I mean, they do go up and down when you have sometimes like you might have maintenance issues or things of that nature. And that's why you get spikes in prices. <clears throat> but um, you're going to have a base load no matter what. If you think about electricity, you know, it, it, there's a certain amount. It's like it's kind of like a pipeline. Like if you don't have a certain amount of fluid going through the pipeline, no fluid moves right And so electricity has to have a base load that can constantly be moving back and forth and balancing the grid. You don't want things to go up and down up and down so violently that you're tripping breakers and then you know cities are being left in blackouts, right? Um, you think from a, just from a safety perspective, right like a hospital can't have its power going on and off on and off, right? I mean um, and so I think, some of it and the redundancy in the grid is because of uh, you know just the way the U.S. grid has been built that we have all this redundancy, um, and I think uh, the peaker plant is the solution to those days when when the intermittency hits, and and I think you're going to see more about peaker plants as we have more renewables, and and that's kind of the the dark secret about renewables is that you know everybody's on the renewable train and the energy transition, but at the end of the day, you know, I think most people would vote for stability as opposed to you know, greenwashing the grid and thinking, you are you know, you're saving the world because of wind and solar. Um, now, I believe that if wind and solar are competitive, and they can do it um, at the same price or be cost effective to, you know, natural gas or coal, or what have you, then that's a perfect world where you, you have, you know, free markets and free competition.
7: So thank you so much, because uh, I, thinking about electricity as a river kind of a uh, flow through the line, and it has to maintain a certain yep. level of that flow. That's that's a great way, a great analogy, a great metaphor, and a great way for me to think about that. Thank
0: you. Awesome. All right, that closes out our discussion with Riot. Uh, once again, appreciate you being here, Phil. We're going to be turning it over to P here in a minute. After I close out, we're going to be keeping this space open. Hang around. A lot of new stuff coming in. It looks like the 10, ten like ten U.S. state regulators are joining the SEC's claims and filing actions against Coinbase as well. Uh, Alabama, California, Illinois, Kentucky, Maryland, New Jersey, South Carolina, Vermont, Washington, uh, Wisconsin, all seem to have filed actions so far today. So it, this continues to heat up, it looks like. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Thanks for hanging out. The place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Spotify, Fountain, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show, I want to thank Swan Bitcoin, sponsor of the show. My crew, Aunt Peter, Stats for Life, Wicked, producer Jacob, I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, to Medium. Thanks to the speakers. Phil, everybody who comes up here on the regular teaching people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. So love all you guys. Everybody have a great day today.